Coming up next, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 105. The point I'm going to make here is that Shaul, or Paul, and his ministry companions, that they were all following and observing the Tzadok 364-day solar calendar. And I think it's amazingly evident in the counting of the Omer text that I'm going to address today. Shalom. Welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi ben Mordechai. Today, I am going to continue with my Dead Sea Scrolls series, and we're going to take a little bit of a deep dive into some New Covenant texts that... uh, clearly demonstrate, at least in my mind, some straightforward connections that are made to the Qumran House of Tzadok 364-day calendar. I want to focus today on the 50-day counting of the Omer, which is also called the First Fruits Wave Offering. So let's begin with one important question. Was the House of Tzadok, Dead Sea Scrolls, solar-only calendar, the festival clock that Messiah Yeshua walked by and applied to Yehovah's New Covenant teachings? As you likely know, this is one of a number of controversial matters between those who observe the rabbinic lunisolar calendar, and those who observe any one of a number of different counting traditions. The point I'm going to make here on this program today is that Shaul, or Paul, and his ministry companions, that they were all following and observing the Tzadok 364-day solar calendar. And I think it's amazingly evident in the counting of the Omer text that I'm going to address today. Of course, for many, it remains much easier to observe the count of the Omer according to the pattern that was established nearly 20 centuries ago in Rabbinic Judaism. Now, that pattern is to count the days and the Sabbaths of the Omer based on Jewish oral law. Simply, Jewish tradition teaches that the count of the Omer begins with the day after the beginning of unleavened bread, or what is called the Festival of Matzah. Since unleavened bread always starts on the 15th of the first month, referred to in the book of Exodus chapter 12, verse 2, which is the first month of the new year, therefore the Jewish tradition and custom is to begin the counting of the Omer on the 16th of the first month. So why is this? Because the 15th of the first month is the first day of unleavened bread, or the first day of matzah, and that day is a Sabbath day. And therefore, the day after the Sabbath, as it is referenced in Leviticus 23, 9-11, is the day after the first day of unleavened bread. 
So in rabbinic Judaism, it is pretty straightforward. And this is always how Leviticus 23, 9-11 is interpreted as Judaism understands it from the written texts of the Torah. So let's read Leviticus 23, 9-11. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the Kohen, or the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before Jehovah to be accepted on your behalf on the day after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. However, the Qumran house of Tzedok priesthood of Jehovah from the Dead Sea Scrolls, they did not interpret Leviticus 23, 9-11 in the same way that the Pharisees of Judaism understood and interpreted that command. So we might ask, well, who's right? The Tzedok priesthood of the Qumran Dead Sea Scrolls or the Pharisees of the post-70 Second Temple Commonwealth or Second Temple period. Today, we're going to take a look at a narrative from the book of Acts, which in Hebrew is the Sefer Hamasim, written by Shaul's ministry companion, Luke. And we're going to see exactly how they observed and counted the 50 days and the seven Sabbaths of first fruits, also called the counting of the Omer. So let us begin with the narrative in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 2 through 7. Now, when he, referring to Paul, had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and he stayed three months. And then the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, or Aram, and he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia. Also, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. So he had quite a ministry team coming along with him to help him with his ministry. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, or Shaul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Well, let's take a look at all of this together. To begin, let us break down two key verses of this narrative into some important chronological timestamps. The book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 6, we'll call this line A. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. 
Now, let's keep in mind that the context of this is unleavened bread. And this is all based on Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Now, Jehovah spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This Chodesh, or this month, shall be your beginning of Chodeshim, or months. It will be the first Chodesh of the year to you. Then Jehovah goes on to say in Exodus chapter 12, verses 15 through 18, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, which in Hebrew is the word matzah. On the first day, you shall remove seor, or leaven, from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. You shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the Chodesh, or the month, at evening. Or in Hebrew, the word is Erev, meaning at twilight, which is the period that is between sunset and the time when nighttime sets in, using the Hebrew word Lila. So it's between sunset and Lila. And oftentimes in Judaism, this is understood as the difference between when the sun sets and when three stars appear. That's generally how they understand the demarcation point between evening and nighttime. Also, the divine commandment for unleavened bread is repeated in Leviticus 23, verse 6. And on the 15th day of the same month, it is the feast or hog of unleavened bread to Yudhe Seven days you must eat unleavened bread. So we learn here that hog hamatzot, meaning the festival of matzah, or the festival of unleavened bread, always, and I emphasize always, without question, falls on the 15th day of the first month. Exodus chapter 12, verse 2. Now, according to the officially recognized rabbinic calendar of Judaism, the festival of matzah, or the festival of unleavened bread, will always begin on the 15th of the first month, and it will always end on the 21st day of the first month. That is a period of seven days. However, the specific numbered day of the week when the festival is celebrated was never of any concern in the rabbinic writings of Judaism. Furthermore, I am assuming that when the book of Acts 20, verse 6 tells us that they sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, we should understand this to mean that they left Philippi on the 22nd day of the first month, because that is the day after the last day of unleavened bread which is always on the 21st day of the first month. So it appears to me that they left Philippi 
the day after the 21st of the first month, meaning the 22nd day of the first month. Now, according to the Qumran House of Tzedok solar calendar teaching, the Festival of Unleavened Bread observes the same dates as the officially recognized rabbinic calendar of Judaism, except for one thing only, the numbered day of the week when it begins and the numbered day of the week when it ends. That's it. Therefore, the first day of the Festival of Unleavened Bread always begins on the 15th day of the first month, which is always on the fourth day of the week, or what is culturally called Wednesday. The seventh day of the Festival of Unleavened Bread always ends on the 21st day of the first month, which, according to the Tzadok solar calendar, is always the third day of the week, or what is culturally called Tuesday. So, this pattern, Wednesday to Tuesday, again, Wednesday to Tuesday, it never deviates on the pre-exilic House of Tzadok High Priestly Solar Only Calendar teaching. I hope that you're following with me so far. Let us now continue. Again, the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 6, tells us that Shaul, or Paul, and all of his ministry companions, they left Philippi on the 22nd day of the first month, because they left after the festival of unleavened bread, and according to Scripture, it always ends on the 21st day of the first month. It's pretty straightforward. But what is more important here is to note on what day of the week they left. Well, you might ask, who cares? Why is this so important? Why are you making such a big deal about this, Avi? Because of the next statement that is written. Let's take a look at it. Acts chapter 20, verse 6. This is line B. And in five days, they joined them at Troas. Again, in five days, they joined them at Troas. Now, the Greek term for this little English word in has a Hebrew equivalent with the word eindalid, which you could pronounce as ad, and it also refers to a testimony. This Hebrew term, ad, or eindalid, means as far as, up to, until, or even as long as, and then you can fill in the blank with a time or event stamp. Given the meaning of the Greek and Hebrew term for the English word in, where it says, and in five days, they joined them at Troas, we should understand this to mean and as far as or up to or until or even as long as five days, we joined them in Troas. So in my mind, this begs a few questions. 
for what purpose or for what end are we told all of this detail that they joined the believing community in Troas in five days? I would ask, joined them for what? What event was supposed to happen in five days in Troas? I would like to explain my answer from Scripture. Again, let's go back to Leviticus 23, 9-11, and then also include 23, verse 15. First, 23, 9, verse 11. Speak to the children of Israel, or the sons of Israel, and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest, to the Kohen, or the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before Jehovah to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath, the Kohen shall wave it. Now verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths, shall be completed. When Paul and his companions left Philippi, again, after the days of unleavened bread, meaning that they left on the 22nd day of the first month of the new year, Paul and all of his ministry companions joined the believing community in Troas on the 26th day of the first month in that new year. So we should therefore ask, what is so important about the 26th day of the first month of the new year? The 26th day of the first month on the Sadok solar-only calendar is the first day of the 50 days of the Omer, which is how the House of Sadok priesthood interpreted and understood Leviticus chapter 23, verses 9 through 11, and chapter 23, verse 15. Once again, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. For Paul and his ministry companions There were two festival Sabbaths of unleavened bread that they observed. They kept the 15th day and the 21st day of the first month. But then, after this, there was yet another Sabbath that followed unleavened bread. And that Sabbath was and always will be the 25th day of the first month of the new year, always, never deviating from that. Therefore, according to the priesthood of the house of Tzadok, who gave us some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, the meaning of, quote, the day after the Sabbath, or in Hebrew, Mimchorat Shabbat. So on this point, I am positing to you that this is why Paul and his companions wanted to be in Troas with the believing community there in five days, giving enough travel time after leaving Philippi. 
They wanted to be in Troas for day one of the Count of the Omer on the 26th day of the first month of the new year, which is always a Sunday or the first day of the week, as it is called, on the Tzedok solar-only calendar. And of course, as I said, the 26th day of the first month is always the day after the weekly Sabbath of the 25th day of the first month in the new year. Let's continue on. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 6, line C, if you will, it says, And we stayed seven days. So, once again, without sounding too repetitious, let's go back and kind of get a summary of where we're at here. Paul and his ministry companions left Philippi on the 22nd day of the first month in the Hebrew New Year, according to Exodus 12, verse 2. The 22nd day of the first month, or the first Chodesh, is always going to be a Wednesday. That is, the fourth day of the week. And then, according to the narrative in the book of Acts 20, verse 6, it says that in five days, they joined the community in Troas on the 26th day, which is going to be what we call Sunday. That is, the day after the Sabbath of the 25th day of the first month. And I want you to keep in mind that according to this calendar system that was taught by the House of Tzedok priesthood, the first Chodesh, or the first month of the new year, always has 30 days. And the Sabbaths will always fall on the 4th, the 11th, the 18th, and the 25th of that first Chodesh, or that first month. Just keep that in mind as we're moving through the text, okay? So again, the 26th day of the first month, which we call Sunday, is the day after the Sabbath, meaning the day after the 25th day of the first month. And what were they doing on the 26th day of the first Chodesh? Well, they were celebrating the beginning of the counting of the Omer. That is, the first day of the first fruits wave offering in Leviticus 23, 9 through 11, and 23, verse 15. And then Paul and his companions stayed on with the community for an additional period of seven days based on the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 6. And those seven days are counted inclusively, meaning they are counted from the 26th day, that's day one of the Omer, through the second day of the next Chodesh, or the next month. So that's a seven-day period. The 26th day of the first Chodesh to the second day of the second Chodesh in that New Year period. Okay, and with that being said, let us now go on to the next statement, which is in the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. This is the first line. Now, your translation will likely read, 
Now, on the first day of the week, the disciples came together to break bread. However, in all the Greek texts, there is no word for day and there is no word for when. So the words day and when do not exist. What we're left with is a statement that reads like this. Now, on the one of the Sabbaths, the disciples came together to break bread. Here in this statement, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 7, and the first line, we're led to believe that it was on the first day of the week the disciples came together to break bread. I want to take a quick break, and then let's come back to the second half of our program here. This is Avi ben Mordechai, and you're listening to Real Israel Talk Radio. You're listening to Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, Program 21, Episode 105. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi ben Mordechai. Okay, welcome back to Real Israel Talk Radio. I'm Avi Ben-Mordechai, and we're taking a look at the book of Acts, chapter 20, to get an idea about the travel chronology that is written there in those verses, and how that travel chronology appears to be linked directly to the House of Tzedok solar-only calendar, as we read about in the Dead Sea Scrolls. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 7, and the first line, we're led to believe that it was on the first day of the week the disciples came together to break bread. However, in all the Greek texts, there is no word for day and there is no word for when. So the words day and when do not exist. What we're left with is a statement that reads like this. Now, on the one of the Sabbaths, the disciples came together to break bread. But that would mean that they were coming to break bread on what we would call a Sunday. However, the Greek grammar does not support that idea. Instead, the term first, as it is translated into English, is from a Greek word that is the numeral one in Greek. Just like in English, we have one, two, three, etc. Okay? So what follows is then the statement of the weeks, which is not supported by Greek with the phrase of the week, nor is it even supported in English of the week. Rather, in Greek, it is the plural word sabaton. And sabaton is plural in Greek. So, translated to English, this unambiguously refers to on the one of the Sabbaths, the disciples came together to break bread. One of the Sabbaths refers to number one of the seven Sabbaths in the 50-day count of the Omer, according to Leviticus 23 verse 15. What I'm saying here is that this event 
that is being referred to in this passage is the first Sabbath of the seven Sabbaths that are to follow, and this first Sabbath is happening or occurring the second day of the second Chodesh, which is also the seventh day in this entire count of the Omer, going back seven days to what we call Sunday, the 26th day of the first month. Yeah, I know this can get a little bit confusing, but if you can, just try to follow along with me here, okay? So, in summary, the number one Sabbath of the seven Sabbaths in the count of the Omer is linked to the second day of the second month. And all of these seven Sabbaths in this count of the Omer, all of them are always linked back to this second day of the second Chodesh. All of them are. And this second Chodesh, or this second month, in Jewish tradition, calls this the month of Er, When Paul and his ministry companions and all of the community at Troas came together on that day, they did so on the seventh day of the Omer which was also one week or one Shavuah, or if you will, one Sabbath of the seven Sabbaths in that entire count of the 50 days and seven Sabbaths count of the Omer. And it all ends on Shavuot or Pentecost. Hopefully I haven't lost you. But if, perchance, you are swimming in all of these numbers and you're, like, totally lost, just go back and listen to what I've said again. Or, what might even actually be better, is to go on the internet and pull up a first month or first Chodesh calendar from any one of a number of these sites that specialize in this teaching— one such group is www.zadokway.com. That's Zadokway, Z-A-D-O-K-Way.com. And just print out one of their calendars for the first month of the new Hebrew year. Okay? Let's now go on to the book of Acts, chapter 20 and verse 7. Let's begin with the second line where we learn... Paul was ready to depart the next day. This statement in Acts 20, verse 7, is being made in reference to the seventh day of the count of the Omer, which is always one Shavuah, or one week, meaning the number one Sabbath of seven Sabbaths. It always is going to fall on the second day of the second month, in the Hebrew New Year. Again, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse 2. So, in this second month of the New Hebrew Year, there are five Sabbaths. That's right, five Sabbaths. And they always will fall on the following days. The 2nd, the ninth, the 16th, the 23rd, and the 30th. That's when the Sabbaths will fall in the second Chodesh or second month in this Sadok calendar. 
So the text tells us that they, referring to Paul and his ministry team, were to depart the next day, meaning the next morning, or what we would call Sunday, on the third day of the second month, which is day eight and one Shavua, or one week, in the count of the Omer. Okay? And if you lost me there, I'll repeat it here in just a moment. It is also showing us that they were following a sunrise-to-sunrise reckoning of the days and not following the sunset-to-sunset official Jewish rabbinic reckoning system. And I'll explain that on the next program, not on this program. And then, hopefully, I think you will understand how I'm arriving at this conclusion. So again, in summary here, when it says that Paul was ready to depart the next day, there are three points to be made. Point number one, day one, what we call Sunday, was a sunrise departure from Troas. That much is known from the context of that narrative. The second point to be made is that this is the eighth day of the counting of the Omer that is going back to the 26th day of the first month, about a week previously on the 26th when the count of the Omer begins. And point number three is that when they were ready to depart the next day, this means they were getting ready to depart on day number three of the new second Chodesh, or the new second month of this Hebrew New Year. And all this data is telling us that the count of the Omer began seven days prior on Aviv 26, or what we call Sunday. So this, in and of itself, tells us that Paul and his ministry companions and all of the Troas community there, they were observing the 364-day solar calendar year, according to the House of Sadok Dead Sea Scrolls community, and their timeline for keeping the festivals. And therefore, this means that Paul and all of these people were not keeping the official Jewish halachic rabbinic loony solar calendar that was in effect in those days and is still in effect to this very day. Today, we call it the rabbinic national calendar of Israel, but they weren't keeping that. Now, as you likely know, this annual counting of the Omer commandment is one of a number of controversial matters between those who observe the rabbinic loony solar calendar and those who observe any one of a number of other different counting traditions. Of course, for many, it just remains much easier to observe the counting of the Omer according to the pattern that was established nearly 20 centuries ago in rabbinic Judaism. Admittedly, that is a pattern that I followed for nearly 30 years. But at Sukkot 2021, 
I shifted over to the Sadok calendar because I came to be convinced from a number of studies that this was the correct calendar. In fact, I got to tell you, what really struck me is the fact of something that Dr. Michael Heiser said when he was doing one of his podcasts. And I happen to like a lot of the material that Dr. Michael Heiser produces. But one thing that he said that just kind of just had me thinking about things, he said that to fully understand the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, one must be familiar with and understand the 364-date Sadok calendar of the Qumran. Oh, yeah. He said something very similar to that, and that was like a wake-up moment for me. And I said, whoa, whoa, what did you just say? Because I had never really considered that. So I thought for a moment, if the chronologies of the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation are dependent on the chronologies that are found in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Qumran community teaching of the 364-day solar calendar, then what am I supposed to do with that? Just, like, throw it away? Just, like, skip over it? Erase it from our mind? Throw it away? No, I don't think so. Now, I don't know if Dr. Michael Heiser keeps that calendar or not. I don't know what he does with his personal faith walk in Messiah. I don't know. All I know is he said something that just shocked me, and I like had a wake-up call saying, I better take a look at this. And after I did take a look at it, my immediate reaction was, I've got to do something with this. I can't just throw it away, skip over it, and pretend, now that just doesn't exist. This is what directed me into trying to take a look at this calendar into understanding if, in fact, this calendar was the correct one. Now, for many, of course, I can totally relate and totally understand that it is much easier to observe the count of the Omer according to the pattern that was established 20 centuries ago in Rabbinic Judaism. And that pattern is to count the days and the Sabbaths of the Omer based on Jewish halakha or Jewish oral law. Simply, Jewish tradition teaches that the count of the Omer begins with the day after the beginning of unleavened bread, or what is called the festival of matzah. Since unleavened bread always starts on the 15th day of the first month in the Hebrew New Year, which is always based on Exodus, or Shemot, chapter 12, verse 2. Therefore, it can mean only one thing. The Jewish tradition and custom is to begin the counting of the Omer on the 16th day of the first month. That would be the day of the first fruits wave offering in Rabbinic Judaism. And why is that? Again, because the 15th day of the first month is the first day of unleavened bread, or the first day of matzah, and that day happens to be a festival Sabbath day. Therefore, the day after the Sabbath 
as a phrase in the biblical narrative, must mean the day after the first day of unleavened bread. So it's pretty straightforward. And in rabbinic Judaism, this is always how Leviticus 23, 9 through 11, and Leviticus 23, 15 is interpreted, at least as the rabbis of ancient days have understood it from the written texts of the Torah. So briefly, let's go back and look at Leviticus 23, 9 through 11. Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest or the Kohen. He shall wave the sheaf before Jehovah to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Shabbat, the priest shall wave it. In Hebrew, Mimchorot Shabbat. But the Qumran house of Tzedok priesthood at the Dead Sea did not understand Leviticus 23, 9 through 11 in that same way. It was the Pharisees of Judaism who taught it differently and interpreted the command in a different way. So then we have to ask, well, who's right? Who's the more correct one in this matter? The Tzedok priesthood? who were there in the Bible long, long before the Pharisees ever got there? Or are the Pharisees the more correct in this matter, even though they began as a religious group much, much later on after the Sadoc priesthood was banished from Jerusalem? Enough said of that. Let's now go forward to the narrative from the book of Acts, or in Hebrew, the Sefer HaMasim, written by Shaul's ministry companion, Luke, and see exactly how Paul and his ministry team observed and counted the 50 days and seven Sabbaths of the first fruits wave offering, also called the counting of the Omer. So, with that being said, let us continue with the final statement where, in Acts 20, verse 7, where we learn this. Paul spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, this statement tells us that Paul was delivering a very long-winded drosh or a lecture about something on the second day of the second Chodesh or month in this new year. He's also speaking to them on the seventh day, or day seven, of the Omer. And also, Paul was delivering his very long-winded drosh on the first Sabbath of seven Sabbaths that are to be counted according to Leviticus 23, verse 15. That's the seven Sabbaths of the count of the Omer. He's delivering his message on Sabbath number one of those seven. So I find this rather interesting that Paul continued his drosh or his lecture well into the night, or as the text says, until midnight. And if you ask me, I don't actually think that, that was such a good idea, considering that he was preparing to leave Troas early in the morning out around daybreak. But 
I'm assuming he could just take a little snooze on the ship on his way over to his next destination. The point that I want to make here is the reference to midnight. Remember, Luke is writing this, and this is in a Roman city, Troas. So therefore, I would expect this idea of midnight to be related to the four Roman watches of the night, which one might expect, again, since Troas was a city of the first century Roman Empire, and the Romans had four watches of the night. And those four watches of the night are approximated at 6 p.m. to 9 p.m., 9 p.m. to 12 midnight, 12 midnight to 3 a.m., and 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. So it appears to me that Paul was speaking to this group probably between midnight and 3 a.m., somewhere in that period. And then, of course, they were just going to break for the night, and he was going to maybe catch an hour or two of some rest and then get up at daybreak or sunrise and head off to a ship and go to his next destination. Well, that didn't quite happen that way, but we know that due to the very late hours of that lecture, we have a statement that confirms it in the book of Acts chapter 20 and verse 8. It says, There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Now, let us learn what happens next. And that's in Acts chapter 20, verse 9. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. <laughs> and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story or the third loft in that building, and he was taken up dead. Poor guy, he just listened to Paul droning on and on and on, and finally he just fell asleep and died. Well, I think a lot of you people can relate to things like that when you go to late evening lectures and the speaker just has a tendency to go on and on and on without much of a break, and it's worse if they speak monotone. But what I want you to carefully notice is what Luke, the writer of this account, is expressing to us, considering that chapter 20, verse 7 of the book of Acts, is identified with the second day of the second month of the new Hebrew year, the seventh day of the counting of the Omer, the first Sabbath of the seven Sabbaths in that counting series leading up to Pentecost, all of those points are all converging at that moment on that night when Paul was rather long-winded. But I'm going to posit to you that each of these themes are all connected. And that's why we're being told this story. The first point that I want to make is that this is the second day of the second Chodesh. In this, I want to draw your attention to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1 through 2. Let's read it together. Now, Solomon 
began to build the house of Jehovah at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, which in Hebrew means the mountain of the teaching, where Jehovah had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And he began to build on the second day of the second month, in the fourth year of his reign. Now surely this has not escaped the notice of some of you who know that in rabbinic Judaism, you don't build stuff on the Sabbath, because that is considered work. And in fact, Judaism specifically speaks about this matter in their 39 categories of forbidden work on the Sabbath. And Judaism has a lot of written volumes and teachings on this very principle, that you don't do work, especially work on the house or the temple or the tabernacle on Sabbath. You're just supposed to rest. But Second Chronicles 3.2 is saying something a lot different. Now, I'm going to break right here on this program because flat out, I'm out of time. This is Real Israel Talk Radio, and you're listening to episode 105. Today's program is part nine of my multi-part series on the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you have any questions or comments about any of these programs, please navigate over to our website at www.cominghome.co.il. Again, cominghome.co.il. Y'all willing, I'll see you next week, okay? I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. Real Israel Talk Radio.